good morning, church. Uh, it is a great joy to be with you all uh, this morning and to study the Word of God together. Please open your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 13. Luke 13. And I'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate has mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All of us sitting or standing here today have experienced both good and evil circumstances. With good circumstances, it is easy. We simply enjoy that moment, we share it with our friends, and sometimes we even thank God. Mostly, we don't sit down and think about the cause and the effect. We don't want reasons for our success. It would be strange to hear someone who just got a promotion asking, but why did I get this promotion? In our minds, we deserve good things. Therefore, we don't spend time thinking about why good things happen to us. It is when things are not going well, or things are not going our way, that we sit down, think, and come up with many questions. Even then, most of our thoughts are misplaced because mostly they are not God-oriented. Luke 13 will help us see how a God-centered mind responds to evil around it. The purpose of this sermon is to answer two questions concerning evil. One, how should we view evil? And two, how should we respond to evil? Luke tells the story about two events. The first event shows a cruel leader dealing harshly with religious people while they were in an act of worship. Many people think of Pontius Pilate as a good leader who made a decision which was bad because of pressure when he gave away Jesus to be crucified. Perhaps when reading accounts of the passion of Jesus, Pilate seems to be the only leader who was willing to release Jesus up until pressure get to him. But Luke tells us a different story. He shows Pilate as a cruel leader, and history is in harmony with Luke's assertion. According to historian, Pilate was not a good leader. He had a, a few clashes with the Jewish leaders because he used to abuse his power. 
Josephus, a Jewish historian, wrote about how Pilate attempted to set up a golden shield. The golden shield had his name and the emperor's name on the walls of Herod's palace in Jerusalem. Now, suspecting that it might have been an act of worship to the emperor, the, Jewish, the Jews complained and it was removed. On another occasion, Pilate took a sacred money from the temple treasury and he used it to build an aqueduct to bring water to Jerusalem from the southern hill. When Jews found out, they protested against him. But Pilate used soldiers to break up the protest, and in the process, a number of Jews were killed. Now in Luke 13, the people tell Jesus about the Galileans who were killed by Pilate while in an act of worship, as they were making a sacrifice to God. This was obviously worrying. That is why they came to Jesus and told the story. The second event may seem less severe, since it doesn't really involve human wickedness. But it seems as if Jesus equated to the first. On this one, the tower in Siloam fell and 18 people died there. We are not told whether the structural failure was due to poor engineering or natural disaster. But there was no one to really point to and say he was at fault. Now, almost everyone can relate to these events. These are things that we have seen and we have experienced. We are surrounded by evil and sometimes by evil leaders. People are struggling because of evil leaders. As if there is not enough, the nature itself is not friendly to us sometimes. We've seen people losing their properties because of floods. Countries struggling economically because of earthquakes and families losing their loved ones because of wars. In some instances, we can simply look and say, so-and-so is at fault. But in others, we don't know who to look to or we don't know even who to blame. That leads us to our first point or question. How should we view evil? First, we should acknowledge that God is sovereign and fully involved in everything happening in this world. When disaster strikes, there are different responses from different people. Others want to absolve and protect God. For that reason, they quickly say God was not involved or God can never be part of something like this. Some people see the involvement of God when things are going well, but when disaster strikes, they don't want God to be involved. However, in this conversation, Jesus doesn't deny the involvement of God. In fact, the entire scripture shows that nothing can happen outside God's knowledge or control. And Jesus himself taught that. In Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Brothers and sisters, even smallest things such as sparrows are under the providence and control of God. They cannot fall without his sanction. They cannot fall without his permission, and they cannot fall outside his mission. Our greatest comfort in the midst of evil should be knowing that God is still on his throne and God is still in control. He is not distant, distracted, or disinterested. All the people engaging in this dialogue had an understanding of the involvement of God in everything, even though they also had some misunderstandings. The question is, 
In what way is God involved when evil occurs? I want to show you what these people knew and also what they ignored in Luke 13. First, they knew the same truth we should know, that God sometimes uses cruel leaders and nations to judge and to punish wickedness. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Habakkuk 1 verse 6. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Proverbs 21 verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Romans 13 verse 1. John Calvin said, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. But God also uses disaster to punish wicked men. 2 Kings 22 verse 16 says, That says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. This is what the people talking to Jesus knew. However, they, all, they ignored that the scripture also shows God as a protector and comforter of his beloved in the midst of evil. In Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar set up an image and his herald announced that those who would not worship that image would be thrown in a fire furnace. The three Hebrews guys refused to bow and they trusted the sovereignty of God who is always in control. When the cruel king threatened them, they responded. Daniel 3.16 says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fair finance and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What we see here is that these three Hebrew guys, they never doubted that God was in control. A cruel king and a scary event did not move their hearts from the sovereign God. God promised Israel in Isaiah 43 verse 2 that when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And in Daniel 3, he fulfilled his promise to these three faithful guys because they depended upon his sovereignty. God protected his beloved when they were facing evil. However, unlike the three Hebrew guys, Stephen in Acts 7 doesn't only face evil, but he's executed for his faith. But even then, we see the sovereign God's involvement in comforting and strengthening Stephen. Acts 7, 55 says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Beloved, when you don't understand what is happening, rest assured that God is fully in control and God is fully involved in everything that is happening in this world. We know that God sees us in our trouble. He hears us in our prayers. And he acts in his wisdom. Sometimes when we are facing difficulties, instead of resting in his wisdom, we think our thoughts are better than God's thoughts. We think if things can happen our way, then it will be better. 
Jacques Monsabre said, If God would concede me his omnipotence for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? In his wisdom, he knows how to judge and punish the wicked, while also protecting, strengthening, chastening, and comforting his beloved. We should understand that events are not just coincidences that happen without reason. This world is not on autopilot. That is the reason these people in Luke 13 were telling Jesus about the event. They wanted to know the reason behind it. In this world, people hate accountability. Therefore, they want to eliminate God. They talk about the world as if it is on autopilot. How many times have you heard statements like, I just want to thank Mother Earth? Or, I know you are hurting, but time heals. Or, the universe is listening. People want to live in the world where there is no God and no accountability. Where they do whatever they please. And they are changing the language to suit that world. They talk about karma, that impersonal faith originally from Buddhism and Hinduism. But they don't talk about the holy God who judge righteously. They talk about luck, that impersonal success that cannot be traced. They don't talk like a man who said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. People want to live in the scientific world that is governed by impersonal forces so that they can freely see. Beloved, we know that that world does not exist. The world that exists is the world where God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Brothers and sisters, we should never view disaster as the absence of God. Not only will that leave us without hope, but it is also foreign to the scripture. When cruel leaders show up and when, when calamity is in place, don't cry about the absence of God, but rather understand the cause of all this. Sin is the ultimate cause of all injustice and disaster. In Luke 13, these people knew that sin was the problem, even though their understanding was faulty. The problem in our generation is that people rarely think about sin. Watch the news, you won't find the word sin. Listen to the leaders, you won't find the word sin. Sometimes you can even go to religious gathering and you will still not hear the word sin. Yet the Bible shows us that sin is the problem. Sin ruined our relationship with God. Which is why, as sad as it is, humans deserve every cruelty and disaster coming to them. From desiring God, sin made men to hide from God. Before sin, God said, be faithful and multiply and fill the earth. But when the sin came, he said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created. From being amiable, sin made men to be detestable to God. Sin corrupted our relationship with God. Sin also corrupted our relationship with one another. When Adam saw Eve for the first time, it was love at first sight, as he said, This last is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. 
But in the next chapter, things changed. The bone of my bones became a woman you, God, gave to be with me. Sin corrupted our relationship with one another. As if there was not enough, sin also corrupted God's creation. Genesis 3, 17-18 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Romans 8, 20. Beloved, sin is more serious than a deadly explosion. Sin is more serious than cancer. Sin corrupts everything that it touches. Sin separates men from God. Sin causes suffering now and eternally. And sin is the worst plague in humanity. Every incident, accident, every distraction, desolation, every lament, torment, every weakness, sickness, every red death are a result of sin. This world is under the judgment of God because of sin. The question is not why so much suffering, but why so much mercy when we deserve the wrath of God every day. Jim Osman understood this very well when he said, if God took from me my wife, children, health, every possession that I own, and let me die a cold, slow, painful death, alone, lying in a ditch, and then send me straight to hell, he would have done me no wrong. This is what we deserve because of sin. God has been so good to us that when evil that we deserve comes, we quickly go back to God to question and to blame him. Proverbs 19.3 Reading from New Living Translation says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. This is the picture of man in sin. This proverb shows the picture of man in sin. We have ruined our lives in our folly of sin, but in every opportunity we blame God. One man said, when God created the world, he made it perfect. Every drop of water was in its place. Every type of plant was perfectly acclimated to its surrounding climate. Humans and animals were perfectly fashioned to survive and thrive in this world. Is that what you see today? No. No. Today we see the exact opposite. We see leaders in every aspect of life abusing their power and governing with cruelty. We see men abusing and killing defenseless women instead of protecting them while they claim to love them. We see women killing helpless and born babies every day while calling it safe abortion, yet the babies are not safe in the womb. Paul told us in the book of Romans that people are not just participants of evil, but they've become inventors of evil. That is what we see in the world. Beloved, these are the results of sin. Think about the floods that leave people homeless, the earthquakes that make young children orphans, and the wars that leave women as widows. Beloved, these are the effects of sin. These are the impact of sin, and these are the defects of sin. While it promises pleasure, sin only brings pleasure. As we have seen, its consequences are displeasure. What we call natural disasters are really disasters of sin. We should be careful, however, not to view suffering as a result of, personal, of people's personal sin. It is easy to see someone who is suffering and conclude that they are suffering because of their sin. That is how karma people operate. 
To them, everything you go through is a result of what you did. Jesus addresses, addresses that here. In verse 2, referring to those whose blood was mingled with their sacrifice, he asked, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And in verse 4, referring to those on whom the tower fell, he asked, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who live in Jerusalem? In ancient world, they believed that a way a person died or suffered revealed what kind of person he or she was. Even in the Old Testament, death of the saints was not like the death of evil people. Genesis 25 verse 8 says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. First Chronicles 29:28 says, Then he, David, died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. Genesis 49:33 says, When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. This is how the righteous men or the saints died. Mostly they died with honor and peacefully, and they were buried with their fathers. But when the Bible speaks about the wicked, the language changes. The murderers, idolaters, and adulterers were stoned to death. Those who disobeyed the word or the law, they were killed by sword, pestilence, and famine. The evil kings were not buried with their fathers. But instead, their bodies were eaten by birds, by beasts, and by dogs. So ancient people didn't have to know someone in order to understand what kind of, of a person he was. They just look at the way he died, and they could conclude that, oh, okay, so this is how these people lived. Knowing how they died gave them enough information as to what kind of people they were. This is what Jesus is correcting here. Even though some of their experiences were true, but they were not exhaustive. Jesus shows them that even though it is true that all evil are consequences of sin, and God judges sin, but they have limited knowledge. They can't just look at the event and make conclusion. Jesus says these people didn't suffer because they were worse sinners than others. This we should also understand. People who died because of floods, people who died because of diseases and wars, are not worse sinners than us. People who suffer most are not worse sinners compared to us. Now that we have seen how we should view evil, let's move to our second point. How should we respond to evil? First, we should examine ourselves. We should examine ourselves. In verses 3 and 5, Jesus said, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. After telling them that those who suffered and died were not worse sinners, Jesus turned to the people who came up with the story of Pilate. While their focus was on the moral state of those who died, Jesus changes the focus to them. They came to Jesus thinking they were better because they didn't die like Galileans. But it's like Jesus is saying, examine, instead of examining those people, examine yourself. Examining those people is not beneficial to you. Rather, examine yourself. The problem of thinking that those who suffer the most are worse sinners is that you neglect your own heart and your own life. 
In fact, the very reason we want to see others as worse sinners, it is so that we can see ourselves as better than them. Jesus deals with that attitude here as he shows them their responsibility. Our responsibility is not to interpret every event to find out who is at fault, but to guard our own heart. It is easy to focus on how others have missed the mark. But Jesus says, examine yourself, deal with your own heart. These brothers and sisters should be our focus if we really seek to grow in sanctification. It is easy to think our good works are the reason we are not suffering. It is easy to look at those who are suffering and count all the things they've done wrong. But in Luke 6.41, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? As we see people suffering and dying because of disasters and brutal leaders, the sovereign Lord reminds us to examine ourselves. Are we loving? Are we embracing or are we embracing our sin? Are we comfortable in our sin? Are we ignoring our sins or are we covering our sins? As we examine ourselves, we should repent. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The purpose of examining ourselves is to remind ourselves of our need for the gospel. When we look at this event and see the consequences of sin, we should examine ourselves and see whether the same wickedness that has caused so much pain in this world is also in our heart. The problem is not really out there, but it is in here, in our heart. In his kindness, the sovereign God reminds us of our need of the gospel in the midst of disasters and ungovernable situations. It was because of his mercy that the people who were talking to Jesus were not themselves consumed. In Romans 2 verse 4, Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Disasters are not an opportunity for us to question God. But in his kindness, God uses them to remind us that we need to repent from our sin and turn to Christ. Sin is not only an offense to God. But it also brings pain. We may be victims of disasters and cruel events, but if we do not repent from our sin, we are accomplices of greater wickedness. Beloved, do not minimize sin. Do not rationalize sin. Do not excuse sin. Do not explain sin. Do not defend sin. Do not compare sins. Do not condone sin. Do not cover up sin. Do not tolerate sin, but repent from sin. Instead, repent from sin and turn to Christ. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is undermining the authority of God. Sin is ignoring the word of God. Sin is rejecting the commandment of God. Sin is spitting at the wisdom of God. Repentance is more than feeling guilty. It comes from godly sorrow and leads you to the foot of the cross. Repentance goes together with faith in Christ. There is no true repentance without turning to Christ. And there is no faith in Christ if not accompanied by repentance. By nature, no one sees himself or herself as evil person deserving hell. But Jesus says, you will all perish. That is, unless you repent. Unless you repent. Proving that repentance is for everyone. Everyone needs the gospel. 
Whether we feel like it or not, we have all sinned against the Holy God. We have all broken His commandments. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. To repent means we must see ourselves as sinners. We must see ourselves as people who have offended God. We have rebelled against God's authority. As you examine yourself, take ownership of your actual sin. Say, I have sinned against God. Don't blame it on the devil or Adam or any people. Every sinner has an excuse. But if we are to be right with God, we need to repent even from our excuses. Lastly, we should consider the warning. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. While devastating events may be temporary, to perish, to perish here, it means a permanent destruction. While they were focusing on earthly disasters, Jesus shows them a greater disaster, which is an eternal disaster. Jesus shows them that there is something more than perishing in that way. There is eternal disaster. Even if these people did not die in a cruel manner, they were going to die anyway. It is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. That is how the writer of Hebrews put it. You can die peacefully in your sleep, as they call it. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, your blood being mingled with a sacrifice or a tower falling on you is nothing compared to the eternal disaster that you will face. There is hope for a Christian who dies in a devastating event, but there is no hope for someone who dies as an unrepented sinner. As bad as this event in this world may be, they cannot be compared to what will happen to those who have not put their faith in God's only Son. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. If you are here today and you are not saved, I want you to know that in this world full of misery, in this world of sorrow, there is hope. Sin is not your friend. Do not embrace it. I'm begging you to reconcile with God. That is only possible through Jesus Christ. Heed the warning of Jesus today. If you will not repent, the worst is yet to come. If you are a Christian, the warning is for you too. Repentance is not only for unbelievers. In fact, the proof that you are saved should be that you keep repenting. Don't embrace sin by calling it your weakness, but by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, as Paul says. This is not a call to, perf to perfection. We know that that is impossible in this world, but this is a call to sanctification, which is possible in Christ. Jesus' conclusion here shows the agency of the gospel. It is said when people die because of cruel leaders and natural disasters, but it is worse when they die outside Christ. A Jewish rabbi told his students that they should make sure they repent a day before they die. With puzzlement on their faces, the students said, but we don't know on which day we are going to die. The rabbi said, Repent, therefore, every day. Then you shall be sure to repent a day before you die. Brothers and sisters, if we realize the agency of the gospel, then this should be our attitude. As we turn to Christ ourselves, let us drag others with us as well. As much as possible, let us communicate the gospel today. 
before people die tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the only day we have. It was too late for those whose blood was mingled with their sacrifice to hear the gospel. But those who told the story were right on time. And Jesus preached the gospel to them. It is too late for those who have died because of devastating events. But we are right on time. Therefore, we need to heed the gospel call. And those that we meet every day are right on time. We should use that opportunity to preach the gospel to them. They should hear the gospel from you. Since you know that natural disasters are nothing compared to eternal disaster. Where is God when we face evil? Where is God when people suffer? In the midst of evil, the sovereign God is always in control, protecting, strengthening, and comforting his people. But above all, the sovereign God always calls his people to eternal deliverance, which is salvation of their souls through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Sovereign God, it is a great joy to know that you are always in control, even when we don't realize that. In your kindness, you call us to yourself, even in the midst of evil and disasters we face every day. Help us to heed the call to live a life of repentance and to always put our hope in your dear Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.